HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. For more information, visit Corin.com. Hi, I'm HRN's Executive Director, Katie Moseman Wadler, with a preview of this week's episode of Meat and Three, our weekly food news roundup. So every day the shutdown continues to grow is another day that there will be a backlog. This week, we're looking at the unexpected ways the government shutdown has impacted our food system. There are nearly 1.6 million New Yorkers who rely on SNAP to feed themselves and their families every single day. There is a real impact on our friends and neighbors. A lot of farmers rely on commodity loans at the end of the year. Since the offices are not open, those loans aren't available to them. Tune in to this week's Meet and Three on Heritage Radio Network. That's M-E-A-T plus sign T-H-R-E-E. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Lisa Held coming to you live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, and you're listening to The Farm Report, a Heritage Radio Network show about the people, processes, and policies that shape how food is produced today. I, well, first of all, I'm super excited to be in the studio today. Um, I haven't been here since early December, so this feels like, even though we had an episode last week, it feels like a nice kickoff to the new uh, new season, <laughs> um, so super excited. Um, and today I am here with Jerusha Klemperer, the director of Foodprint, a new website that's attempting to make it easier for consumers to understand how the production of the food they eat impacts the environment. Jerusha, welcome. Thank you. Um, and we've actually known each other for a really long time, so this is like really an interesting meeting of our, our lives. <laughs> yeah, this is perfect. Um, so... I want to talk about Foodprint and, and what you're doing there and, and some of the, the issues that you're covering um, related to agriculture. Before we do that, give us a little bit of background on um, who you are, because you've been working in food and agriculture and just on food system issues for a long time. Yeah, that's right. Um, I think it's important to point out that I have done no work on food and agriculture, but I've done a ton of work communicating about right. other people's <laughs> work on food and agriculture. So I've really um, focused my time and energy on trying to um, tell the stories of um, better food and better agriculture. I, um, many years ago, worked for an organization called Slow Food, and there I had the chance to um, work on some campaigns mobilizing slow food members around the country around various issues. Um, the first big one was around school lunch and um, helping about 20,000 slow food members around the country advocate for better school lunch. Um, there was a piece of legislation coming up, um, the you know legislation that governed the school lunch bill, and we thought, a lot of people don't know about this. Uh, we want to get them interested. We want them to see why school lunch matters to them, even if they don't have kids in school or um, even if they don't eat school lunch themselves. And that was my entree into school lunch and then also into campaigning and figuring out how to get people interested in food issues that they don't even think they're interested in. Mm. So after Slow Food, um, or even at the tail end of my time there, uh, with five other people, um, we co-founded an organization called Food Corps. Right. And Food Corps... Uh, was kind of a marriage of AmeriCorps and Farm to School. Um, and we designed a program that would um, help place AmeriCorps leaders around the country in schools um, or in organizations that worked with schools on 
what you might know as farm to school issues. So working on uh, teaching kids how to grow food and cook food and try new foods and then also uh, working with schools and the cafeteria staff to get better school lunch Um, or, you know, uh, connect to local food, get healthier food options, get more variety in fruits and vegetables, things like that. Mm. Um, Yeah. And so then that brings me to the present. Yeah. And Food Corps is, I mean, huge now. And I I feel like you are also kind of... um, at the forefront of the the sort of movement for better food in schools, which now there's like a lot of organizations that are involved, um, but um, Food Corps has really been growing since then. Yeah, and it's been really exciting to see. And they've also, um, you know, moved past just the direct service in Mm. schools with service members and kids and also looking at the bigger picture of how to um, work on systemic change and, you know, on a larger strategic partnership level of how can we move the needle on uh, sourcing for food, um, for school food, not just in a single school, but across a district or across the country, things like that. Cool. Um, Okay, and so that brings us to Foodprint. Um, So so when did the site launch uh, about mid to late October. Okay. So it's super new, mm-hmm. um, which is great. Um, and, um, what's the, um, what's the story in terms of like how it came to be? Mm-hmm. So in some ways, food print was a reconceiving of a site that had been around for a while mm-hmm. called sustainable table. Um, but instead of just saying, okay, this website is old and it needs to look better and, um, feel more modern and, um, be more, interactive and easier to navigate, we thought um, this is also an opportunity, however many years down the line, 10 plus years after this old site had started, um, to reframe the conversation. And so um, the thought was to frame it around this concept of a food print, which was not our idea. This is, you know, a word in the lexicon that other people have used and talked about and um, framed things this way uh, to help people understand that all of the processes, all of the things that your food goes through, whether it's, you know, a hamburger or a salad, um, it has an impact on people, on animals and the environment, and that all of those things are the food print of that food. So yeah. kind of like a carbon footprint, but um, sort of a larger perspective. More on expansive. It. More yeah. expansive. I haven't holistic. heard that word a lot, actually. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so we're, we're hoping to get people thinking that yeah. way more. <laughs> I think it's a cool, it's, it's a cool term because it's, even if you if if you haven't heard it, you intuitively kind of understand yeah. what it means. Um, but I think getting people to think about it, like you said, the more all the different issues involved, not just carbon footprint, um, is mm-hmm. where it gets a little more um, complicated. Or, yes. Right? Yeah. And people, you know, you see that people are really craving um, a number, right? Mm. From the get go, when we launched the site, everyone wanted to know. Oh, okay. So what's the rubric? Like, where? What are the numbers for this and how do I calculate my food print or the what is the food print of this particular food mm-hmm. and um, our challenge has been to help people understand that it's not a number it's a mindset um, <laughs> <laughs> and that it's just about um, in general educating yourself on these various aspects and then looking for ways to do better across the board with animals environment and people hmm. well it's not a number but you do have a quiz that you can take to find out your food print right so so what's the result that you get if it's not a number um so <laughs> that quiz to be totally i mean it's not even about being transparent if you take the quiz you realize right away that it's really more about um being a fun and engaging way to get people to think about this idea of a food print and okay. to be a kind of segue into some of the learning that's available on our site so it's it takes under three minutes, so it's not very scientific. Um, but what this quiz aims to do is to help people understand. Um, they get scored on 
animal welfare kind of awareness. How are you doing with your food print when it comes to animal welfare? Okay. How are you doing when it comes to um, local seasonal food? How are you doing when it comes to worker welfare? How are you doing when it comes to um, food literacy even? Um, and there's six of those. And then depending on your score with each, it connects you to um, different material on our site that's around educating yourself on these different issues. Okay. And what kind of material um, is on the site? Like, is it, um, I think there's some reports that you mm -hmm. published. Um, where, give us a sense of like what yeah. that looks like. Well, the site is intentionally has uh, material presented in all different formats. So there's stuff that's really quick and easy to digest. And then there's some really, really deep dives. Um, and there's kind of two pathways in. We have a whole section of the site um, that's about eating sustainably. And so that's advice and tips and content on shopping, for food, um, various shopping for seafood, shopping for meat, shopping mm. for all that kind of stuff, um, cooking sustainably, uh, and then, you know, um, part of the cooking and the shopping is things like um, a food label guide, a seasonal food guide, a, what we're calling a real food encyclopedia, where there's an entry on over 200 different foods that kind of explains to you what is this food, when and where can I find it, and what is its what are its sustainability issues, its environmental impacts, its does it have any worker welfare issues associated with it, things like that. Um, the cooking area has all kinds of stuff about cooking with less waste. So when it comes to, and they're actually paired with those real food entries. So if I'm reading about potatoes, then I can also click right through and read about how to um, cook with the potato peels. Mm. If I'm reading about Swiss chard, I can also read up on how to um, use the stems, use every last bit of that food. So that's the really... Um, you know, it's got a lot of utility to it. You can use all of this stuff really on a daily basis. Um, and then we have a part of the site that just digs into the issues. Um, and we have some shorter dives and then some longer dives, those reports that you mentioned. We so far have a deep dive report on kind of the state of the dairy industry. Um, sorry, I said dairy, but that's the one we're working on right now. <laughs> We've got chicken, okay. eggs, beef, and why am I spacing? Chicken, eggs, beef, and we'll come up with that fourth <laughs> one sometime really soon. Dairy coming soon. Yeah. And, yeah. and um, we have, up, you know, we'll have one on dairy, we'll have one on seafood. Um, and these are really deep dives and they help paint a picture for what the industrial production of these products looks like right now and what all of the issues associated with that are in terms of environmental impacts, worker welfare issues, public health issues for a lot of them is really big. And then also laying out, um, a plan for what a more sustainable version of this production looks like. That was that was going to be my next question. So the the reports are you're you're mostly looking at what industrial production looks like, um, but then you are also offering sort of like alternative. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and actually, the beginning of each report starts with what sustainable production of this product should look like. Okay. Literally, just a bulleted list. It should be this. It should be this. You know, it should be regenerative. It should. Um, you know, it should take animal welfare into consideration. It gets quite specific with each product. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so what do you think are, um, some of the biggest, um, agricultural issues in the food system right now? Like when you're, when you're thinking about what you need to be putting on the site, what people need to know about, um, what are the kinds of things that are top of mind? Mm. For us, always the two biggest things that are top of mind are environmental impacts, um, we're thinking about climate change. Right. I don't know about you. Um, and suddenly it feels um, that urgency feels there for other people too. So that's great. Yeah. Um, and then we're really concerned. It like literally keeps me up at night. I think about it all the time. <laughs> yeah, it's the first thing we should all be worried about and everything right. else comes from there. Um, 
And so we were really concerned with the environment, environmental impacts of our food system. And then secondly, we're really concerned about animal welfare. Mm. And so you see a lot on our site about um, the various impacts of the industrial, of industrial uh, animal product production. Mm. Um, do you think that, so on that point, that makes me think like, you know, there's so many discussions happening right now about animal um, welfare and animals in agriculture. Um, and, you know, part of eating sustainably as eating more plants and less animal-based foods. Um, how do you balance that message with, like, um, educating people on more sustainable ways to... Um, produce animal foods as well and and where how that plays into like the overall uh sustainable agriculture picture i know it's really tricky um we i would say one of our main messages is this idea that um we should all be eating less meat but better meat right and once again that's not we didn't come up with that terminology but we're (laughs) happy to share it um and that it's important not to paint all of agriculture or all of animal agriculture with the same brush really wide swath that um that uh, responsible animal production can actually help things like climate change. It can actually sequester carbon in the soil. It can um, be regenerative. And um, we really want people to understand that. But we also understand that um, a lot of most production doesn't happen in that way and that what most people have access to on a daily basis doesn't look like that. Um, But we really want people to understand um, that there is a better way and that there are farmers uh, who are practicing this better way and to learn about it and to learn what it means to say better meat. Right. Um, do you think that, um, so far, I mean, you just launched and, um, I know you've been starting to push things out. Um, what's your sense of like what people know about this, this world and like how people are responding to the information that you're Mm -hmm. putting out? Yeah. It's really interesting to me. I think that in some ways it seems like consumers are really getting hip to this message, right? They're pushing companies to, right? We've seen all of this change based on consumer Mm -hmm. demands and pushing, right? Like um, food companies are having to respond about antibiotics in the food system. They're having to respond about um, cages and animals, right? Like Mm -hmm. big changes around cage-free eggs, big changes around um, getting antibiotics out of chicken and right. things like that. And that's so exciting. You're like, great, people are really concerned about GMOs. They're like, we must label our food as you know being free of GMOs. And that's all fantastic. But it's been interesting to me that when you push a little deeper on that stuff, um, a lot of consumers don't know why they're supposed to care about that stuff or they have the wrong idea about why they're supposed to care. And maybe that doesn't matter because as long as we right. are getting antibiotics out of the food supply, as long as we are... Um, paying attention to um, GMOs, maybe maybe that's all that matters. But we think we have an opportunity here to um, give people a little bit of a deeper picture around how what the actual impacts of these various things are on personal health or public health and why they uh, and why they should care. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. I think about that a lot because I think um, it's easier to get people to care about personal health than it is to get them to yes. care about environmental impact. Um, and like with the antibiotic example that you mentioned, like I think maybe somebody's like reaction is, I don't want antibiotic, uh, antibiotics in my food because maybe it's not good for me. And like, you know, I mean, I'm not going to get into whether or not that's true, but like maybe it's just trace amounts. And it, but, but the actual like massive global issue is this like idea of antibiotic resistance and yeah. <laughs> could really have a huge impact, right? And so does it matter if the concern is more personal? And 
you know, I there's a, there's a lot of, and similarly with pesticides too. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, I buy organic cause I don't want the residues, um, in my food. And it's like, well, a tiny bit of a pesticide residue, like who, you know, we don't really know how that might affect you, but we know that workers in fields are poisoned by those chemicals or that it's leaching into groundwater. And, and so it's kind mm-hmm. of a funny thing to, I guess like, it's weird to think like you sort of use people's like, personal um, concerns to, to get, but but maybe maybe the idea is like it's a starting point to talk about it and then it gives you like the place to educate from yeah. a little bit about we, environmental impact. We have a page on our site um, about personal health and it's mm. framed around questions. You know, is organic food better for me? Why should I care about antibiotics in the food supply? And it's really funny because all of the answers um, kind of start with this. Um, but there are reasons bigger than you to care about this issue. <laughs> we are encourage you to read this other part of the site about the you know global public health impacts or about the you know um, global environmental concerns or whatever. So yes, you start with yes, this is what people are probably googling, right? And then while I have you, let me tell you a little more about this, right? <laughs> um, okay, so you are you have an entire website that is dedicated to. Um, the environmental impact of agriculture and food. If somebody asks you, um, what do I eat? <laughs> how do I, how do I eat um, in order to minimize my food print? Um, what's your answer? Well, it's funny, but our web developers who are working with us on the site about halfway through the process, they said, um, we're so depressed. We don't know what to eat anymore. Um, you've ruined food for us. And I, was like, I wait, feel wait, wait, that wait. way a lot. <laughs> I was like, that was not what was supposed to happen here. <laughs> um, hopefully they wouldn't say that about the finished product. You know, I thought it was really interesting that um, Lancet report that came out last I was just week, reading which I'm still digging into. I came here. But it very much was talking about like, all right, this is what you have to eat. Mm-hmm. And I would say that our site is not about um, telling you what to eat. I mean, in some ways, you know, the eat less meat but better meat message is as close as we'll really get to being mm-hmm. prescriptive. Um But I do think you talked, um, I do think that um, avoiding processed food is a thing that would hit a lot of our marks Mm. Um, in the sense that, you know, we talk a bunch on our site, too, about um, food packaging, the problems associated with food packaging. Um, We talk a lot about mm, the problems with monocropping and pesticides and all that. And all of that's, you know, on soy and corn and the things that are going into a lot of our processed food. And with packaging, it's even, you know, um, buying stuff where someone else has already chopped all of the vegetables for you and put little, you know, bits and bobs and whatever. So I think there's nowhere in our site where we say don't eat processed foods, but Mm. I feel like that's a good takeaway. I can say that, you know, if we're worried about food packaging, if we're worried about food waste, if we're worried about monocropping um, industrial agriculture, that's a pretty good way to... um, address a lot of that stuff. Right. And that I think is a great um, place for us to take a quick break because I actually really want to get into um, how you're looking at processed and packaged foods and the environmental impact of those. Um, And that's going to be a a longer conversation. So let's take a quick break for a word from a sponsor. We'll be right back. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. 
Corin is proud of their Japanese culture and traditions, but they want you to know that their products are not just for Japanese restaurants. Their knives and tableware bring out the best qualities of food from every culture and fit into every restaurant from French to Pan Asian to American. And that is why they're located in New York City, where people from every country in the world come to eat. Corin's Tribeca showroom is home to the most extensive collection of Japanese chef knives in the world, including Japan. Stop by to view their exquisitely designed tableware and their rarest natural sharpening stones. They have a whole range of knife services from repair and rust removal to reshaping and realigning. Corin is dedicated to this ideal, bringing the highest quality Japanese design to your table so you can experience the unparalleled quality of Japanese craftsmanship in your home or restaurant. For more information, visit Corin.com. All right, we're back. This is Lisa Held, and you're listening to The Farm Report on Heritage Radio. Before we jump back into our conversation, I want to tell you about a smart, engaging podcast produced by our friends at Edible Brooklyn. In the Field with Edible Brooklyn tells stories about the intersection of food and technology. And if you like The Farm Report, you'll love this podcast. The host, Editor-in-Chief Ariel Lauren Wilson, explores the tech behind the food we eat, and the tech that doesn't belong in your dinner. There are episodes that take listeners through how the restaurant Blue Hill uses tech tools to grow their crops and deliver your bill, how to grow acres of produce in a tiny Tribeca basement, how to edit plant genes, and much more. Food and technology are two constants of our everyday lives. Stay informed on all of the fascinating ways they meet by listening to In the Field with Edible Brooklyn. Find it and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. All right, back to our conversation with Jerusha Klemperer of Foodprint. So right before the break, um, we started to kind of bring up this idea of processed packaged foods. Um, and this has been on my mind a lot, thinking about how we measure the environmental impact of um, those foods, because um, I think as people think more about what they should eat and what they want to eat, companies are obviously jumping in and saying like, Oh, you want to eat more plant-based foods? We'll we'll produce them. We'll we'll package them and we'll sell them to you because it's a market opportunity, right? Um, and they claim to be sustainable, and we don't have a lot of research on whether or not that's always true, right? Um, and I think like so, the thing that that made me think about this is um, this story that Jerusha, you um, and I worked on together for Foodprint on comparing the environmental impact of different plant-based milks. Um, some would say not called, shouldn't call it be called milks, but, you know, non-dairy beverages. Um, and, you know, it's, it's like this idea that we know maybe like if you, t- if you grow oats, that is going to have a smaller environmental impact than if you grow a dairy cow. Um, but then we don't know once you take those oats and you start processing them into a totally new thing and packaging them and shipping them all over the world, like then it starts to be a completely different conversation, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, and you know, I mean, you and I went back and forth and, and I, I, I reached out to all these experts like, can, can you talk about the environmental impact of, of these different plant-based milks? And uh, across the board, most of the really smart people that know a lot about agriculture that I, reached out to said no like we we can't talk about it because we we actually have no idea 
Um, and that was like so surprising, right? I mean, yep. I, I guess like, so how are you dealing when, when you are trying to think about environmental impact of processed and packaged foods? I mean, is the answer just you have to just tell people like the best idea is to avoid them or it, are, do we just need to like push for more research on the real impact? I know it's such a good question. And I think, I mean, I think first and foremost, and you and I discovered this, right? We started off on this piece and we kind of knew that it might end up in a place where we couldn't say, this is your number one most right. sustainable Drink this alternative one. milk. Drink right. this one. And this is your number two. I think first and foremost, it's that uh, it's really hard to know and really hard to say. I think sometimes people are looking for easy swaps. Yeah. You know, eat this, not that. Drink this, not that. And then you'll be more sustainable, mm-hmm. quote unquote, that you'll be good to go. And for all of these reasons, it's hard to know, hard to measure. But I do think investigating these things can be a good idea to find out, well, is there one that is truly terrible? You know, that is, um, you know, they're clear cutting rainforests to produce this. Um, Workers are uh, living in slave conditions to make this happen. These are things we can discover by researching how a food is grown, harvested, processed, all of these kinds of things. In terms of understanding that complete, um, you know, the piece that you did for us, um, talked about life cycle assessments right to look at the whole thing and know you know this is its food print here's the score like (laughs) you can't do it um and so looking for these easy swaps i think is impossible but i don't think it means we should stop asking the questions looking um looking for answers and yeah i think they should be doing research on this stuff i don't think people should be able to say this thing is better it's more sustainable without um, having something to back it up. Although you and I also got into that thorny territory of if it's the company itself right. doing these life cycle assessments, like, can we trust it? Like, we all know that industry-funded research is not always to be trusted. Right, whether even if it's, you know, perfectly executed and is a great study, we know that those studies tend to come out on the side of the sponsor, Um Especially if they're willing to share it. <laughs> right, right. That's true. There, there might be ones that we haven't seen, yeah. right? That, um, and so many of the, the life cycle assessments that have been done so far on, on packaged foods are done by the companies. Because, I mean, I guess to get funding for stuff like that as an independent researcher is probably really hard. Yeah. Um, and if you're a scientist and someone offers you the funds to do it, that's probably a really appealing thing, right? right, right. Like, <laughs> well, and another thing you and I discovered is that even then, there are things that are not taken into account. So you and I then started talking about what about the food waste element? So at the end, right. after you've extracted all of the taste and all of the nutrients from these almonds or hazelnuts or mm. cashews or whatever <laughs> they are, what do you do with that stuff that is left? Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, and actually, it's funny you bring up the the uh, sort of the stripping out the nutrients. That was one of the biggest things that I came away um, from doing that research. It, it just, it really, I had never really thought through the idea that like the processing strips out nutrients, and I think people kind of know that about packaged foods and processing, and it, it's not universally true, of course, for every food, but. Um, but I guess the idea that we're you're using resources to process it. And then you're stripping out some of the nutrients, so you're ending up with a less nutritious food. <laughs> Sounds crazy when you frame it's, it. That yeah, way. it's yep. it's actually insane. You're using resources to take the thing like that you already use to take the nutrients out, and it's just it's kind of mind boggling. Yeah, you're that's... like, should I not just eat a handful of almonds and call it a day? Right, exactly. Um, should, is that the answer? <laughs> that's my personal answer for my personal right. self. I think is yeah, and I think a lot of foods 
and you know, you know, we know more about this than I do. But a lot of foods have have either by design, by marketing, whatever, have a kind of aura of wellness around them. And people think like, yeah, I'm having a smoothie with almond milk in it, so like we're good. Yeah, I've got a drink. I'm eating chia seed pudding, so everything's great. I feel great. The world feels great. Um, and that is not necessarily the case. You might even have something with fewer, <laughs> with less nutritional value than if you had just eaten it before it got repackaged for you. Right, right. And that that connection, the the connection between healthy food and sustainable food, um, is what the report we, we mentioned earlier, um, the Lancet report that just came out, um, is kind of trying to get at like this this way of eating that hits both. Because I mean. I feel like those two things are often not talked about mm-hmm. um, in one conversation. Like I think there's people in one place talking about healthy food and there's people in another place talking about environmental impact. And it's like two completely different conversations, mm-hmm. which is crazy because we only have one food system, right? <laughs> right. And one planet. Right. And, yep. <laughs> do you, I mean, do you think that that's true? I do. Yeah. yeah. Um, I want, I mean, do you feel like maybe it's changing or it will change or? I hope so. I do feel like everyone's finally scared stiff about climate change not everyone right a lot of people not everyone the dominant conversation um in the media even and you know for people who didn't care about food or sustainability up until now they are rightfully scared and seeing that something has to change and um you know that the changes can't only be personal they have to be um systemic as well but um people are feeling like well the one thing I can control is my personal changes. And so I'm, I am seeing a, sh- a shift um, in the conversation. Yeah. Um, and Foodprint is is really consumer-focused, right? Um, your your reports and um, information is all sort of for, for individuals to kind of understand what they're eating and, and how things work um, and then make choices based on that. Um a lot of people that come on this show and a lot of people I interview for in everything I do, when I ask them, like, how do we talk about, um, you know, making agriculture more sustainable? How do we, people always go to like, well, it, it has to be consumer demand. That's what changes things. Um, do you, do you think that's true? And if so, like, is this, is that sort of the idea that you're trying to kind of, provide the resources for people to understand where their food comes from and then kind of that will arm them with um, the ability to demand that better food? Yeah, I think it has to be both. I think we have to eat with our or, you know, vote with our forks. And I think um, the system has to change. And sometimes the system changes because of consumer demand. But I think that can only go so far. Um, I think some consumers have power and have, you know, the ability to say, well, I'm buying more organics. And so the industry is responding by producing more organic food, which means we're getting all of these pesticides, you know, out of the food system. That's fantastic. But a lot of people can't afford organic food. And so they don't have that power. And I think there's enough people without power that it's going to be impossible for us to completely change this. You know, I think about school food, for example. Um, Children in our food system have zero power um, and also like maybe not the best instincts about what food they want to eat always. Um, and so their consumer demand is never going to shift. Um, not never. It's hard for that consumer demand to shift that um, market unless 
um, they have awesome food core service members helping them follow <laughs> fruits and vegetables. Um, so, but you know, our take at food print is we're going to get people, um, with this, like, here's some simple changes you could make. Here's a slightly deeper dive you could read about to understand the more systemic issues at play. Oh, did we mention you could also read about policy? Oh, did you know? That mm. You know, so we're trying to tease people in a little further. But I think even the pushing for systemic change, it's hard to know. I think there's been a few farm bill cycles now of people being like, I want to be engaged. I want to fight for a better farm bill. And I think people are still confused about how it is that we um, as citizens that we make a difference in right. the farm bill. It's really hard to see that path, you know, or anything like that. But I do think that there, I mean, I'm getting in, I'm, I'm going off in a, t- a slightly different direction now, but no, I do no, think, I think that, you know, there's a lot of city-wide policy, statewide policy, county, district, things like that, where we're seeing a lot of changes um, around things like single-use plastics or, mm. um, you know, other other kinds of um, food purchasing, like the Good Food Purchasing Program, things like that, you know, mm-hmm. being um, taken on by an entire district. So, um, but yes, we want people to know about all that stuff. And so we also have a blog on food print. Um, I call it, I like to think of it as something bigger and badder than a blog, but it's, um, we have a news feed that um, is pretty diverse in terms of the stories that it covers, including helping people decipher the sustainability of different um, alternative milks. Right. Um, <laughs> And we really aim with that diverse diet there to help people care and see about the personal changes they can make, but also to really understand the larger system of play, to understand the various policies out there that are allowing, um, you know, line speeds to get faster in chicken slaughter facilities um, mm-hmm. and helping them, like, this is what a line speed is, and this is why you should care that it's changing and that people can make their line speeds faster now. This is what um, a CAFO is, and this is why you should care about it and why you should be interested in this lawsuit that's moving forward where neighbors around a CAFO in North Carolina are successfully suing um, you know, Smithfield, for example, mm-hmm. for the fact that their quality of life is being ruined. You might not you might have just thought you cared about bacon and like where to get better farm-raised bacon, but we're here to right. also talk to you about CAFOs. So we try to get people interested in the whole picture. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a, a big job. <laughs> yeah. We'll come back in a year and we'll tell you how it's going. <laughs> um, so we're, we're running out of time. Um, if, if someone wants, uh, wants to, um, go to food print for the first time, um, where should they start? Great question. Okay. I would start on the homepage and look at our navigation bar up top. And I would say, check out eating sustainably. And that will be a portal into all of that um, kind of easy-to-digest stuff um, that I told you about. If you're looking for that deeper dive, footnoted and researched and all about those issues around animal welfare and climate change and how the food system impacts those, click on the thing that says the issues, and you'll get all our deep dive reports and the other stuff. And if you're like, well, I want a little bit of everything, then click on the latest. And that will be that news feed that I told you about, sort of like a blog, but maybe more ambitious. Um, and those are kind of like your your three portals uh in and and then just spend spend some time there and poke around and you might um discover things that i didn't even mention just now (laughs) perfect Uh, jerusha thank you so much for being here thank you lisa thank you all for listening to the farm report on heritage radio network we'll see you next wednesday
Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.